Hello and welcome to another episode of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. I am your host, Hayden Grove, joined by our Cavaliers beat reporter at Cleveland.com, Mr. Chris Fedor. And we are, com- oh, I am coming to you live today from the visiting uh, visiting broadcast booth here at Progressive Field where the Guardians have struggled as of late. Um, I'm assuming Chris is coming from Bay Village, but I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, I am um, at my house in Bay Village. Uh, I just got back from physical therapy. So, what did you do? You have phys- what, what? What do you? What? What's wrong with you? Yeah. So you know how, like, in your back, you can slip a disc. Um, apparently, I slipped ribs, Ooh. and it is causing a lot of pain in my uh, mid and lower back. And uh, this is the second time now that I've had to go to physical therapy because of my back. So I think it's just like a combination, right? Growing up, I worked at Mark's. I did a lot of stocking. I did a lot of heavy lifting. The golf swing is hell on your back. Everybody knows that. My dad has back problems, so maybe I inherited some of those. But every time um, I start to feel like really good, really healthy, and happy about where my body is, like, <laughs> I just throw my back out randomly. And I don't know how it happened, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, yeah. I lifted my son the other day, and it just, like, gave out completely. It brought me to my knees. So hey. a couple months of physical therapy is on the agenda for me this off season. Hey, you got to get back in shape for the season, you know? <laughs> you got to look <laughs> just like these guys, huh? So um, it's... It's really, really funny, right? Because they took x-rays on my back and on my ribs and my pelvis and my hip and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, so many things can just be explained by I sit on the most uncomfortable chairs in the universe for every basketball game that I attend. Um, I hunch forward in that chair because I'm typing on my computer constantly. So, like, everything with my x-ray that shows my back and my hip and the shape of my spine and all that kind of stuff can all be explained by you sit in front of a computer constantly and you write because that's what shape my body is in right now. Or, like, you're on this uncomfortable plane and you're just dropping your head straight down on a tray table to take a nap. You know what I mean? Like, that's the shape that my spine is in right now. Doesn't that sound fun? Well, it is not. So we're trying to work on our posture and such at physical you're gonna therapy. You're going to have to sit on. You're going to have to sit on like a. Uh, you're going to have to sit on like a little, uh, a little chair, th- a little like lift or something. Yes. Yeah. That, something that, like that. Yeah, that seems about right. Well, I've been. I went through physical. I went through physical therapy last year. I re- had a really bad ankle sprain, and uh, that was yeah. not fun. It's not. It's. It's not as hard. It's not as easy as people think. It's definitely uh, intense, and like it yeah. definitely does not feel good so best of luck to you on the men um we we do have to talk basketball as the offseason continues and yes the cavaliers are done uh but lebron james will always be part of cleveland cavaliers basketball lore and he will be mentioned anytime he's mentioned the cavaliers will have some sort of a tie there um so for the first time lebron has mentioned retirement uh, Mm. in his post-game press conference um, maybe not the first time, but one of the first times publicly that I can remember um, him talking about retirement. And uh, you wrote you wrote a piece for, I believe it was Hey Chris, um, where fans get to ask questions. And 
Um, obviously, LeBron was mentioned and the Cavaliers were mentioned in the same breath. Uh, does this talk of retirement have anything to do with the Cavaliers whatsoever? It, does it have, you know, uh, something to do with Bronny? Does it have something to do with maybe, you know, taking a step away and then being able to come back? Or is there anything Cavaliers related in the LeBron James recent comments um, in regards to his retirement? So it's always so hard to know, Hayden why LeBron says the things that he does and why he chooses the moments that he chooses to say them. But we do know this in spending so much time around LeBron, listening to him talk and just getting to know him over the years. We know that everything that he says, everything that he does has a purpose attached to it. Yep. Calculate 100%. And this is no exception to me. Like there are a lot of different layers to this and I won't rule out completely him retiring, but I don't think that's happening. Yeah, um, no. I've just learned to never say never, especially in this business. That's something that I was taught a long time ago by one of my uh, mentors. Um, so I'm never going to say never when it comes to that. But it just seemed like there were other things that made LeBron go down this road. You know what I mean? Like, if we go back to about 15 years ago, when the Cavs lost or they kept losing in the Eastern Conference playoffs when LeBron was here the first time, like he had this revelation. It seemed like he had this revelation of, yeah, we're not good enough. And it's just not going to happen here. There's nothing that we can do to, to get on the level of the Boston Celtics. And like when he had that revelation that led him to Miami going somewhere else where he could get better players around him and he could compete with the top teams in the Eastern Conference that he didn't believe that he could compete with while with the Cavs. Yeah. And I just felt very, very similar listening to him talk the other night against the Lakers. He saw firsthand the team that is going to be standing in his way consistently in the Western Conference. At least the belief is that they're going to be standing in his way for a number of years in the Western Conference. Denver is the best team in the West. They are the most complete team in the West. They are the number one team in the West. And they've got two-time MVP Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray. And those two guys together create offensive magic. And I think LeBron got an up-close view of what he's going to have to go up against to chase championships with the Lakers out West. And he was just like, we're not good enough. We need help. Yeah, I need better players around me. So I think that was part of why he went down that road to put pressure on the Lakers front office and basically say, like, yeah, I've got a lot to think about when it comes to my playing future and retirement is in the cards. You want me to play with the Lakers again? You want me to avoid retirement? Give me a reason. Show me what you're going to do with this roster to make it so that I can better compete here in this organization against that team that just swept us out of the conference finals. I think that was part of it. Yeah. The other part of it was that was the first time before the NBA finals, Hayden, that a LeBron led team got swept out of the playoffs and he wanted an opportunity quickly to change any kind of conversation of that. Yeah. And and how can he change the conversation from the Lakers getting swept? How can he change the conversation from 
Nikola Jokic being otherworldly and outplaying everybody in that series, well, he can say, I don't know what my future holds. I may or may not retire, essentially, is what he said. Everyone's going to talk about LeBron's future when he brings up his future. And they're not going to talk about the Nuggets. They're not going to talk about the Lakers getting swept. They're not going to talk about the greatness of Nikola Jokic. They're going to talk about LeBron's future, right? So that was a way for him to shift the conversation away from the Lakers getting swept and back to something different related to the Lakers and related to LeBron. It keeps um, the conversation about him, but it's in a different way than talking about him getting swept. Oh, yeah. Um, And I think the other thing is, in some ways, I think he was sending a little bit of a message um, to, like, anybody else around the NBA um, that may want to play alongside him. Kyrie Irving, hint, hint, hint. Yeah, as one example. Like, hey, (laughs) you're a free agent. You might get one more shot to play with me. Come here. Because I don't know how much longer I'm going to be around. That's that's where my mind went initially. Where did your mind go? Uh, right to the exact same place. I mean, yeah. Yeah. My first thought, the, what I tweeted right after the game, and I did a poor job of. Um, well, I, I said. I At said, least you can admit it. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, of course. I said, LeBron James twenty or 10, 2010 vibes from LeBron. And immediately was hit with, he just scored 40, 10, and 9. My point in tweeting that was the 2010 vibes when LeBron walked off the court. Yes, he ripped his jersey off. He didn't do that here in L.A. But it it had a very similar feel to to, to it as LeBron walked off the court um, after this after Lakers got swept. Like, something needs to change. Either my my team needs to change or the players around me need to change. So that was the vibe I got. LeBron was mm-hmm. like, okay, I, I, I can't do anything else with this. Like, yes, I didn't play my best for fourth quarter, but I mean, I, I had no help. D'Angelo Russell disappeared. Anthony Davis right. kind of up and down. I, I need help. And I think that's exactly the vibe that I got that. So, yeah, I think that was part of it. You know, if you guys don't improve, I'm going to retire. That's kind of like a threat. Um, and always, he's always able to control the narrative, which he's a master at. So, um, yeah. I, I completely agree with that. Um, there was a proponent that something he said, he said something about Bronny too. That was like, yeah. he said like, that was my, that's my dream. It doesn't mean it's his. Like, I don't yeah, know. That was taking, yep, a couple weeks ago. Taking pressure off of Bronny or something. There was something along those lines, but anyways, I, I don't know that, but that, yes, my, my first thought was exactly what you said. They need to improve or he's going to end up moving elsewhere. And, and you know, I think it was kind of a – maybe not a shot at Rob Palenka, but like a fire under Rob Palenka's butt to get this thing better because, you know, they had to scratch – I mean, the team that you saw in the in the conference finals was not the team they started the season with, and um, they got better but still wasn't enough. So, you know, Kyrie has been at these games. I think that there is a real, real desire for Kyrie to come back and play with LeBron and – I think it would be a great fit, and uh, you know maybe they could find a way to make it work. I felt like it was a power play completely, yeah. and and look, LeBron has the kind of power that few players in the NBA possess, and it's his right to use it the way that that he sees fit. 
Yeah. Um, and I just think uh, <laughs> the way that he played this year, Hayden, he was third team all NBA. Um, he in 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 this series against the Nuggets, like, you know, he was basically flirting with a triple double every single night. Yeah. Um, in the final game of the Western Conference Finals, the fourth and final game. He had a near 40-point triple-double, and he said to um, our buddy ESPN's Dave McMenamin that yeah. he feels like, you know, he's better than 95% of the NBA, and he's right about that. So when he's playing at this kind of level, I think it would be hard for him to walk away because yeah. I think he looks at it saying, I still have more that I can accomplish. It's just that what's around me right now is not going to allow me to reach those particular goals. Right. And he, and I think the thing too, is that LeBron has a standard for himself. He has a standard for the people around him. Right. And if that standard is not being met, then he is going to, you know, do something about it. So, um, yeah, I thought it was complete power play as well. And, uh, yeah. And I think what you're, he's exactly right. You know, to what he said to Dave, you know, he's still, he's still got it. I mean, you know, people yep. are saying, oh, that he's, you know, 20, 20 years in, he's not the same player. I mean, you no, know, he's not. He's not. He's not. Guy. He's not. But he is still a damn good basketball player. Yes. And still a guy that needs to have, you know, that that needs to be reckoned with and, you know, led this team to a Western Conference Finals when it certainly did not appear in any way, shape, or form that they were going to get there. So, yeah. you know, beating Golden State um, had a really, really nice season. And, I think he wants that when he ends his career, he wants to give himself chances to win one more ring. So I don't blame him at all. That's um, all he plays for. That's all yeah. he plays for championships. Right. Right. And and here's the thing too: if you think about it, part of the reason why he came back to Cleveland is because he saw a path for him to groom Kyrie into the next alpha, right? Yeah. And then there was going to be a seamless transition as LeBron's career started to tail off that he wasn't going to have to be like the guy. Um, yeah. And and that was the same thinking when he got to Los Angeles and the Lakers acquired Anthony Davis. Like yeah. eventually there was supposed to be a situation where AD, it's your team. AD, you're the best player. AD, you're the one that carries us throughout the course of the regular season. AD, you're the one who's going toe-to-toe with Nikola Jokic and some of these other guys in the Western Conference. And I just wonder if LeBron even looks at the situation with AD and says, you know, that's not the running mate that I envisioned. That's not the guy that I can, quote unquote, pass the torch to or take a step back in favor of because he just doesn't show up consistently enough for that to be the case. Like, I don't think LeBron thought going to Los Angeles that here in year 20, here at 38 years old, he was going to have to play at the level that he played at in game four against the Nuggets just for his team to compete. And I think it's hard for him to look at game four and say, I nearly had a 40-point triple-double. Like, that's about as best as I can do at this stage of my career, year 20, 38 years old, playing on a busted foot. That's about as good as I can do. That's about as good as the Lakers can expect from me. And that wasn't good enough. How was that not good enough? Like, AD, where were you? Like, D'Angelo, where were you? And all these other things, you know what I mean? And I think those are the moments 
where LeBron starts looking for an exit strategy or a time to make a power play when he feels like his best isn't good enough and he needs better around him. I'm going to say something that I did. This is going to, this is going to be something that I never envisioned would come out of my mouth. And I don't, you're going to, you're going to understand what I mean. Like right after I say it, Mm. because I'm going to explain it. LeBron is an idiot. And here's why he thought for a second that anyone would be better than him. He thought that these guys would be, he thought like, he thought for a second that somehow like he would be not as good as these guys. I mean, he underestimated himself in all honesty. Mm. It, it seems like it like, doesn't it like, okay, I was, I'm, I'm going to tr- pass the torch to Kyrie. I'm going to pass the torch to AD. No, you're not because you're still way better than both of those guys. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're 30. Like he was probably like, you know, and I, and I take the back, the idiot coming. It was a joke just meant to kind of explain yeah. the situation, but like, he basically like underestimated himself. Was like, well, I'm gonna not, I'm not gonna be as good as I want to be. So I'm gonna yeah, have yeah. To just like basing it on you know 99 percent of other players. Um, but he is not 99 percent of other players. He is one of one, and he has had arguably the, if you don't want to call him the greatest of all time, he has had arguably the most productive career of any basketball player ever in terms of, you know, scoring, longevity. Mm-hmm. Winning, all of that. So, you know, it, I I don't blame him for necessarily underestimating himself, but it kind of has put him in a situation where, like, he's like out, he's kind of quote unquote outliving these guys because I don't think yeah. Anthony Davis's potential to be a lead guy is any. I think it's over. I don't think Anthony Davis will ever be a lead guy ever again. I don't think Kyrie Irving will ever be a lead guy ever again. Mm-hmm. And LeBron is still in year twenty a lead guy, whether he likes to believe it or whether he wants to be or not. Yeah, so here's the thing, too, when it ties into the Cavs, Hayden. Um, yeah. A lot of people bring up the fact of, hey, maybe the Cavs should look into trading LeBron. Number one, like, the Lakers would be the first team to trade LeBron. Yeah. Um, aside from, you know, the sign-in trade that happened when LeBron ultimately went to Miami. But, yeah. like, do you really want to be the first executive ever to trade LeBron? And if so... Like, what are you going to get back if you're the Lakers and you're Rob Palinka that is going to make you feel good about the package that's coming back to you in that trade, knowing that you moved on from LeBron? You willingly moved on from LeBron and you took something back for him. So that's complicated in of itself. And then it's clear that if he's looking for a place to consistently win championships, then you have to say, Okay, if you're the team that's trading for LeBron, who's going into year 21, who's going to be 39 years old, and who isn't the same player that he was. You know what I mean? Like, he's still great, but he's not the same player that he was. So if you're going to trade for that guy, like, what are you going to give up in terms of your roster? And how are you going to make sure that you don't give up too much? So... The situation that he comes back to is not one that he just left in Los Angeles. You know what I mean? So you have to give enough to the Lakers that's going to satisfy them if you're talking hypothetical LeBron trades. But you also have to keep enough to compete for a championship. Like, 
Yeah. Who's I able just, to do that? Yeah, I just don't see the Lakers doing that. I, I, I you know, the egos are like, you know, Polinka is not going to be the first GM to trade. So that's, I think that's out of the question. I, I don't care if the Cavaliers offer Darius, Jarrett, uh, who else? I don't, I, I don't care. I don't, even Donovan, like, it, I, I think it's, I, I, I well, don't think they do it. I mean, the whole point would be LeBron to come here to Cleveland to play alongside Donovan. Right. So why would the Cavs trade Donovan in this hypothetical scenario? Right. right. Or the whole point would be LeBron coming to Cleveland to play alongside Darius and Donovan. Could you imagine how how furious L.A. would be if they traded LeBron for Darius and Jared Allen? And and like, it'd be ridiculous. Right. Or you could say. DeJounte Murray, Onyeka Kongwu, and Sadiq Bey. Like, does that right. satisfy anything for the Los Angeles Lakers if you want to throw out that kind of team? You know what I mean? So I just think this uh, this is going to play itself out. Um, LeBron's probably going to be with the Lakers for the 23-24 season. And then we'll see because he's got the player option for the, the, the second year, uh, the 24-25 season. So then I think it becomes interesting. Does he opt out and sign somewhere in free agency where Bronny gets drafted? Um, does he opt out and go to a place where Bronny isn't, but he thinks has a better chance of winning a championship? Um, that, I think, is going to be more interesting than this particular offseason. This offseason, to me, is about what can the Lakers do um, to appease him from a roster standpoint. Can they get Kyrie Irving? Can they package D'Angelo Russell and something else and do something other than um, just re-signing Austin Reeves and Rui Hachimura? But I will say this, Hayden. In no way, and I said this about a year ago, in no way are the Cavs in position right now or will they be in position next offseason to completely turn their back on LeBron James and say, no, we're good where we are. We don't need to go out and add you in free agency or woo you in free agency or make a sign and trade or whatever the case may be. Yeah. Like every team in the NBA should consider somebody like LeBron still at this stage of his career. Yeah. And the Cavs, as much as they like their young players, as much as they're happy about the future of this organization, if LeBron wants to come to Cleveland, and it works under different kind of amenable terms, then I think that's something the Cavs would have to explore. It'd be foolish not to. Right. Well, let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. But, yeah, I I completely agree. Um, You know, like I said, when LeBron will always be associated with Cleveland and any conversation about him will always have a Cleveland tie. So, you know, there's going to be people that are like, oh, you know, why are you talking about LeBron? Well, first of all, because he just left the playoffs when the Cavaliers left the playoffs quite a long time ago. And (laughs) secondly, like, like I said, there's, there's plenty of, there's always going to be that tie there. So we'll see how it works out with LeBron, you know, going forward. I'm sure there'll be some time off and uh, we'll watch the NBA finals and all that. Um, with the Denver Nuggets and maybe the Miami Heat, maybe the Boston Celtics. I guess we'll see. But I do want to get in the J.B. Bickerstaff conversation because it's a conversation we had uh, that I wanted to have after the last episode. And Mike, what I was going to bring up, Chris, and I, you know, and I think it's if if nothing else, I think it's interesting. The Suns fired their coach. The Bucks mm. fired their coach. The Raptors fired their coach. These guys are all winning coaches. Mm-hmm. And it just it just made me think, well, 
J.B. Bickerstaff's leash is probably shorter than I thought it was. Because if these guys are getting fired, you know, some some really good quality coaches and head coaches that have had, you know, a lot of longevity and a lot of success and, and, and cha- NBA championships, then there is no reason the Cavaliers are just holding on to J.B. Bickerstaff for dear life. And, it, and I, I guess my question would be, is that more of the way of the NBA that these teams are just trying to, you know, that it's, you know, it's not, it's not necessarily just an individual thing on every, Mm. you know, for every team. It's just kind of the way of the league or is it like, I think JB, I think if the things don't go well next season, I think the Cavaliers, even if they make the playoffs and have another early exit, I think, you know, that could be the end of the JB experiment. Well, I think there are a couple of, here, Hayden. And, and this is something that we talked about shortly after the Cavs acquired Donovan Mitchell. Did that speed up the process? Yes. Mm-hmm. But did that turn the Cavs into a championship or bust type situation? No. Because of the ages of their core players, because of the inexperience of their core players, because of the inexperience of their head coach, and because of um, the contract situations of all of their players. Like Kobe Altman said it, and I hate to borrow a phrase from him because fans don't always love when Kobe says this, but I think it's logical in the situation that the Cavs are in, given all those things that we just talked about. There is a pathway or a runway for this group to continue to grow together. Yeah. Learn from their failures, learn from what happened in the playoff series against the Knicks, and gain things from those and be better because of those you know what i mean like when things weren't going the way that the nuggets wanted them to go a couple of years ago they didn't sit there panic and say well this doesn't work with Jokic and murray we gotta get rid of one of them right or well this isn't working with michael malone and he's showing flaws in the playoffs so we gotta get rid of him you know what i'm saying yeah like there is there is merit to the Cavs believing staying the course is the best path. And I think the thing that too many people got caught up with when it came to Donovan was that for for some reason, they they considered trading for Donovan Mitchell an all-in move and the Cavs sacrificing everything for one season. But it wasn't that. It was never that. The trade for Donovan Mitchell wasn't solely about the 22-23 season. It was about 22 and 23. Taking that next step as an organization, becoming a playoff team, getting that playoff experience that they needed. But it was about 2022, 2023, and then 23-24, and 24-25. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like It wasn't just one year of Donovan Mitchell and if it was something where the Cavs got bounced out of the playoffs, uh-oh, we've got to make all these changes as an organization. Like, their clock was never ticking at the same rate as Milwaukee and Boston and Philadelphia and Phoenix and some of these other teams that you brought up. I'm gonna throw And I a don't think they can start treating it that way. I am going to throw a button there, though. Okay. I'm going to throw a button there because if if the Cavaliers clock isn't ticking, which I understand. No, 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 no. It is ticking, but it's not ticking as rapidly as those other teams that we brought up. That sure. Are championship or bust. 
Okay, okay, fair. That's because the difference. I was, say, I was gonna say Donovan Mitchell is not signed through forever. No, he's not. And again, but he's also not a free agent this off season like Chris yeah. Middleton is with Milwaukee. Sure. Right. Right. It's so not again, a situation where well, um, right. two of the best players for the Phoenix Suns are on the wrong side of 30. You know what I mean? Like, that's a different situation. I'm certainly not saying that JB needs to be going anywhere this offseason. I, I think, yes, last year was disappointing. And um, the year before that, you know, with the injuries and whatnot. But I think what I, what I am saying is that I think JB doesn't just get a couple years here. If things don't go well next year and they get bounced early, I think the Cleveland's clock is going to be taking taking then the way that maybe some of these other teams are taking now. I'll say this. JB has issues, and some of those issues showed up in, in the postseason against the New York Knicks. If a coach has issues that he can't or won't address, then you let them go. Yeah. Right? You say, you're not the guy for us. We can go out and we can find somebody that we're more comfortable with that we think is a better tactician in a seven-game series. Right? But you don't just fire them after the first mistake. And I yeah. think this season for JB Bickerstaff was the first one where he was able to make those mistakes, right? Where yeah. the Cavs had enough talent to compete, especially in the first round against the New York Knicks, the flawed New York Knicks. There was enough talent on the roster, even though the roster is flawed and there were holes on this roster that definitely need patched. Like that first round series against the Knicks should have been more competitive than it yeah. was. Like the Cavs can't just lead for 49 total minutes in five games against the New York Knicks and feel good about things going into the offseason. Right. right. Um, but but that was that was a lesson for J.B. Bickerstaff, just like it was a lesson for Darius Garland, just like it was a lesson for Evan Mobley. You know what I mean? Like, I think the Cavs understand that J.B. has some flaws. Um, I think the Cavs understand that there are things that J.B. didn't do great in that series against New York. But I think they're committed to him enough to allow him to try and learn from those things. And if he doesn't learn from those things, then they're going to have difficult questions for him. Then they're going to have to have difficult conversations internally. But you don't do that for this team that just emerged from the rebuild darkness. You don't do that after a one and done playoff series. Could not could not agree more. Could not agree more. I think he gets another shot for sure. And again, at this point, they've already, you know, they're not going to go, even if they, well, I guess supposedly they could, but at this point, it seems very unlikely they would do anything um, to the contrary. And I, I agree with them. I think that JB gets another shot. And, but I am saying it's interesting that with kind of the, the culture of coaches right now, it would be interesting next year if they say had another first round exit and there's, you know, a couple other teams in the same way. It seems like these coaches are shuffling much more quickly and yeah. weirdly than they kind of ever have. Sure. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. Like, if the Cavs flame out the same way in next year's playoffs, or if they don't even make the playoffs, whatever situation that you want to throw out that you would consider a failure for this organization, right. then it's absolutely a conversation that they need to have internally about J.B. Right. Um, but but I also think part of the reason why this organization is putting its support behind JB 
And the way that Kobe Altman phrased it to me when I asked him specifically, are you fully committed to JB to be your coach for the 23-24 season? And Kobe said, end that speculation. I think it's because the front office recognizes that many of the um, many of the decision-making flaws that showed up in the postseason with his in-game adjustments, with his lineups, and with his rotations were in large part tied into the options that this front office gave JB to work with from a personnel standpoint. Does yeah. that make sense? Yes, it does. 100%. Like the Cavs knew that the version of Ricky Rubio that showed up this year was not one that was going to be all that helpful in a playoff series against the New York Knicks. Yeah. And that's a guy that the Cavs gave to JB Bickerstaff and said, Hey, figure it out. You know what I mean? And yeah. we've talked about the wing spot and that continues to be a weak point on this roster. And even though the Cavs tried in free agency, and even though they tried at the trade deadline, um, they didn't make it happen. So JB having to go away from Isaac Okoro was in large part because the Cavs didn't improve that position, right? Like JB having to go away um, from Dean Wade and Jetty Osman or whoever it is that you want to throw out there in the postseason is in large part because like he was scrambling to try and find the right combinations and the right pieces that were going to work and allow the Cavs to function offensively and defensively the way that they wanted to in that seven-game series against the Knicks. But all of the pieces that he was trying to fit in there were all flawed, and I think the front office recognizes that. Yeah, and that's what we talked about in the last episode, a lot of the flaws and a lot of how they want to address them. Um, The last thing I want to hit on before we go is uh, you mentioned Jared Allen and having a little Mm -hmm. bit of in-depth conversation about Jared Allen. What exactly... um, about Jared Allen. I mean, I, I, I've, I've told my friends and I've told people and <laughs> I, I, I have told people, I think that I really think, and I, I think Jared's a, a really good guy, a wonderful guy. And I'm not, and I, as a mental health advocate and somebody that I, I really hate to be so critical because I know how hard these guys work. I know how hard sure. they try, but I really do believe that that was one of the most pitiful performances I'd ever seen by an NBA player in a playoff series of his caliber. And I'm not saying that that's like grounds for dismissal. I'm not saying, but like pretty much all the goodwill that Jared Allen, Jared Allen as a basketball player had with me is kind of gone. And that's just my personal opinion. But how does he get like, in my estimation, it's going to be hard for him to get better. Like he might, he might, he is who he is and he's a good player. There's no doubt, but like, how does he get any better? He's not going to be a guy that's going to be able to knock down, you know, three point shots unless he bolts up. He's not going to be able to, you know, be more physical in in a, in a, in a playoff series. So I guess my point is that like with Jarrett, I, I kind of feel bad for him because there's such a ceiling. It seems like. Well, in what way do you think he needs to get better? I mean, I guess in certain matchups, he, like I said, in certain matchups, he's just not he's just not going to get he can't get better. You know what I mean? Like he's never going to be Joel Embiid. He's never going to be that size. He's never going to be like a Jokic. Like I think the way that he gets better is just add weight and add tenacity. But like, can you do that? I don't know. Okay, but how many guys are out there that are going to be Embiid? 
How many guys out there are going to be Anthony Davis? How many guys out there are going to be Jokic? Like, that's right. a conversation that I've had with a lot of different people recently, Hayden, is right. yeah. you can't have a star player at every single position in your starting five. You can't no. have a star player one to eight in today's yeah. NBA. Yes, but um, I guess my point would be is that he made Mitchell Robinson look like a star player. <laughs> no, he didn't. It wasn't just him. Oh, it right. was the Cavs' strategy that played a lot into why Mitchell Robinson got the the offensive rebounds that he got. If the Cavs don't tra- trap Jalen Brunson as much as they did in that series against the Knicks, then Jarrett is not scrambling around. Then the Cavs aren't scrambling around on defense, and they're not out of position to get those offensive rebounds. Like, honestly, if you pulled up the clips of of the Knicks' offensive rebounds throughout the course of that series and just focused only on them getting those offensive rebounds, you will see that very few of them were Jared Allen losing a one-on-one battle with Mitchell Robinson. You will see that. And you will see very few of them were Evan Mobley losing a one-on-one battle with Julius Randle or Mitchell Robinson. Like, yes, part of it was Jared needs to be more physical. And he mentioned it in his end-of-season wrap-up. Like, I gotta get stronger. I'm going to focus on getting in the weight room. And Evan Mobley said the same thing. But, like, to put that all or put a large part of that on Jarrett, even though he did it himself, I think is missing the point of the why of that particular series. Sure, sure. And I, I understand, you know, that the the you're right. The, um, the... Like, you know how hard it is the way to box defend- somebody out from behind him? Like, Jared Allen, on many of those occasions, when the Knicks were on offense, was playing behind Mitchell Robinson because he was the guy who was out on the perimeter trying to pester Jalen Brunson in a trapping situation. Yeah. I think so the- how's he supposed to get a rebound from behind Mitchell Robinson? Right. Well, you're. I mean, again, I think part of it was the, the strategy in the situation, but I do think part of it was the you know, was the physicality of it, was the strength of it. And again, I think Jared Allen, I think my fear, Chris, is that Jared Allen is just a regular season player. Um, and I know last year was, um, you know, he had the injured thumb and he wasn't able to go and I get that. And mm-hmm. he was he was a big part of what they do. But also, again, regardless of, of in, in you, again, you look at the, yes, the offensive rebound numbers, those could be brought back to both. But even the offensive numbers, even like some of the other things, it was just like, he just, he was a persona non grata for most of the series. And yes, that was partially because of the Knicks, but also you look at the the Eastern Conference, there's some, there's some great bigs. There's some, some really good, you know, players that are going to be, if you're looking to win a championship, Jarrett's going to have to find a way to be more effective. So I don't know. I think it's going to take a while for the bad taste to get out of my mouth in terms of Jared, uh, Jared. Um, but I'm not, you know, I think part of me believes that, that he could be fine going into next year and could get better, but also like there's a thought of, that says, well, you know, if they can't acquire that, that, uh, the three and D guy or that shooting guy that they, they want at the three, then he's an option. I think this is the thing that we all have to look at when it comes to Jared Hayden is what is he asked to do within the offense? What is he asked to do within the defense? And if you look at that 
and then you come to a conclusion that you can find somebody for cheaper or somebody else that can do those things at a high enough level as Jarrett, then okay, I'll listen to that conversation. Because I think the way that the Cavs have to view this this offseason is it's an if-then statement. Yeah. So if they can go out in free agency or they can go out and acquire somebody via sign-and-trade that can fill that 3-and-D spot for them, Mm -hmm. that is good enough to be a starter-quality wing, Mm -hmm. if they can do that, then that answers many of their questions. Yeah. Right. If Evan Mobley can go out and show that he can be better on the perimeter as an offensive player, he can be more of a threat on the perimeter as an offensive player, and he can knock down a shot consistently outside the paint. Then some of your spacing issues that you have with Jarrett and Evan playing together, two non-shooting bigs playing together, then some of those questions go away. Yeah. But like if the Cavs can't go out and sign somebody in free agency, to be that starter quality wing and their only path to getting that kind of player is by using Jared Allen as a component of a bigger trade, then that's something that they have to explore. So it's basically what they already have, but the addition of somebody in free agency with the mid-level exception to be that starter quality wing, or it's get that starter quality wing by using Jared Allen and then use the mid-level exception to get Jared Allen's replacement, whether it be Mason Plumley, whether it be Bismack Biombo, um, that kind of guy who is just going to do enough at the position that Jared does. And then you upgrade the other position that you need to upgrade by using Jared. And then that makes you a better team. Like, to and me, so that's the conversation. Yeah, it certainly is an if-then conversation. There's no doubt. Um, definitely an if-then conversation. Again, I don't think they just get rid of Jared Allen if it, if they, yeah, it, no. I, I don't think that at all. I think that, you know, if, if, if a situation presents itself, I think all of a sudden Jared's become expendable. And that really wasn't the case in the last couple of years, especially coming up with an all-star season. So... It's just interesting. It's interesting to see that kind of happen. Um, and again, I'm but it's not... also the other thing that you have to ask yourself, Hayden. Do you believe that Evan Mobley can play full time five right now at this stage of his career? Do you believe that he can play full time five? Well, absolutely not. No. Okay. So you need somebody like Jared, right? Yes. Yeah. And I don't think you can lose sight of the fact that. Since the Cavs acquired Jared Allen and teamed him with Evan Mobley, they have been consistently a top five defense. And you have to ask yourself, if we move on from Jared Allen and it's only one of those two seven-footers, how different is our defense? And do we lose too much on the defensive end of the floor? And then you also have to say, well, Jared is one of the, the top 20 players consistently in the NBA in screen assists. So we know how important it is for Jarrett to be out there to create opportunities for Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland. We can't lose sight of the fact that he is better at that right now at this stage of his career than Evan Mobley is at this stage of his career. So if we lose Jarrett Allen, 
because we want a different upgrade. Is our offense going to suffer too much? Is our defense going to suffer too much? Even though he's not a back-to-the-basket guy, even though he's not a bucket getter, even though he's not heavily involved in scoring the ball offensively, he does other things that help this offense function um, in a consistent way. And when you think about how they run their offense with pick-and-roll heavy stuff, like Jarrett is screening on basically every single possession for the Caps. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting. It's it's very interesting. Um, and I think, you know, as time moves on and uh, the bad taste, the bitter taste kind of starts to subside, you start to focus more on next season as, you know, maybe when free agency or the draft or whatnot, um, it'll it'll be, you know, it'll maybe be more clear. But um, there's also this, too, Hayden. If the yeah. Cavs got more from the small forward spot, if they got more consistent production, offensive scoring from the small forward spot than what they got throughout the course of the regular season and that series against the Knicks, then the Cavs don't need as much offensively from Jarrett, right? Right. Oh, of course. There are there were a lot of factors. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Like, like we've said, I mean, there were this the roster was flawed. The, the bench didn't show up either. Um, so, you know, to put it all on Jared is bad. It just it seemed like he really took the brunt of the spotlight and the issues that Cleveland had kind of just fell on him um, circumstantially. You know what it kind of reminds me of, sort of? Um, if you think about the, the, the Cavs big three era, the four straight years of the NBA finals, like who was the one guy that took the brunt of everything? It was Kevin Kevin Love because, I mean, you weren't going to do it with LeBron and you weren't going to do it with Kyrie. Like Kevin was always viewed as the most expendable component of that big three. And even though that wasn't true. (laughs) That's how he was viewed. Yeah. And, And it's always easy to point the finger at that kind of guy. And with Jarrett, like based on the core that the Cavs are building here, he is viewed as the most expendable piece of that core. It's not Donovan Mitchell. It's not Darius Garland. It's certainly not Evan Mobley, the guy that the Cavs believe in the most, right? Mm -hmm. So the most quote unquote expendable piece of that core is Jarrett. The one who is easiest to pick on is Jarrett. Yeah, no, that's very, very true. It certainly is, Jared, and that's why I kind of said I feel bad. But yeah, it was just it, like the good news for Jared is that you know Kevin stayed up until now uh, this year. Um, you know, was the subject of a ton of trade rumors and a ton of this and that, and got a lot of flack, but made his way through. So um, Jared certainly can avenge um, this if 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 Kobe Allman doesn't find an opportunity to to otherwise better this team and. Uh, you know, it's not over for Jared Allen in any way, shape, or form. Um, I did want to. Oh yeah, Kevin Love is about is uh, just a game away from the NBA Finals. So don't uh, don't do this to yourself. <laughs> can, can I bring up a stat for you? Because I no, knew you were going to no, bring up I, Kevin Love. No, I didn't. I, I knew it. I you, knew it. You, I was ready you, for this. You you told me you told me last time not to do it, so I was going to do it. I did. You I did, did it. Do it jo- jokingly. No, I want to talk. You can you can tell me a bad stat. That's fine, but we don't. I don't want to talk about it because we've talked about it at length. 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. Okay, fifteen players have played for the Miami Heat so far in this postseason. 
15, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. There are four with a worse um, plus minus, only four for Miami with a worse plus minus than Kevin Love. There you go. You want to know who those four are? Uh, yeah, sure. Go Victor ahead. Oladipo, Nikola Jovic, Udonis Haslam, and Omer Yurt Seven. That's it. Everybody else for the Heat has been better than Kevin Love. Or they've been a better team with those guys on the floor as opposed to Kevin Love. I'm just yeah. saying. Yeah, no, I mean, you're right, for sure. They're plus 98 with Caleb Martin on the court. They're plus one with Kevin on the court. Well, They're plus future... 59 with Bam Adebayo on the court. They're plus one with Kevin on the court. Well, we can still watch future Cavalier Max Struess um, <laughs> as he plays for the, for the Miami Heat. Do you think that, do you, I think, you think that, I mean, it's pretty... The, the, the statistics would very much favor the Miami Heat to get to the NBA Finals, but is there any chance that Boston comes back? Absolutely. Yes. For sure. Two of the three games are in Boston. We can start there. And the other thing is, you know, Boston throughout the course of the regular season, and I know regular season playoffs completely different, but Boston proved itself to be the better team. And I still think they are the better team. So this is a situation where, to me, the better team is trailing in the series, but the better team also has two of the next three at home and some things going on its side. Um, so I would not rule it out completely of Boston finding a way to come back. It's hard to bet against Jimmy Butler, obviously, and Eric Spolstra. And the way that the Heat have played in this series, especially the way that they've shot the ball in this series. But the version of the Celtics that we saw tear up the Eastern Conference in, in the regular season and the version of the Celtics that we saw beat the 76ers in the Eastern Conference semifinals, we haven't seen that as much against Miami. And Miami deserves credit for that. Um, but I think that team still exists. Yeah. And they only have to find it three more times. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think if any team were to do it, it could be the Celtics team. I mean, against the Miami team that, although Jimmy Butler, man, I mean, he's just been on another level. I, I don't know if he's going to let that happen. Like, I, it's hard I, to see it. Yeah. I mean, just Jimmy just been insane. Like best player in this postseason by far. Well, not by far. I think Jokic is right there. But yeah. Yeah. Unbelievable what Jimmy Butler's been able to do. And by the way, Nikola, and you you said it, and I said I'd rather Nikola Jokic make me look dumb. He certainly did, and I will take that. He he was unbelievable. In, you you the said Lakers in four. I did. <laughs> I jokingly did. Yes, I wasn't. I I was thinking Lakers in six, seven. I you know Lakers but, in four years, maybe. But. Yeah, exactly. Um, no, Nikola. I mean. When he, I don't think I've ever been like, I mean, I don't think I've ever seen anything like him taking that. It was LeBron. It was the step back three over Anthony Davis. That's unbelievable. And just the entire Lakers crowd was like, well, I mean, what are we going to do? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, you sometimes, and LeBron said it, you just have to tip your cap. And Nikola Jokic, man, I, that guy is unbelievable. 
unbelievable. I mean, that's a unicorn. I mean, we talk about unicorns. Maybe, you know, we talk about what Evan Mobley can be. I mean, being Nikola Jokic wouldn't be, that, would be pretty damn good. If you, could <laughs> way, if you could figure out a way to be like that, good God. Yeah. Because Nikola's not like Embiid. He's not like, he's kind of his own thing. Oh, yeah. I mean, nobody, nobody at the position plays the position like Jokic does. No. He's doing things, Hayden, that only Wilt has has done in the history of the game. It's unbelievable to think about that. Yeah. yeah. Well, we will continue to watch. That is for certain. In the meantime, from here at Progressive Field, it just seems like Cleveland is having a rough go of it over the last couple months. Guardians 21-28. Cavs get bounced in a disappointing series. Uh, OTA start today, so we just we need some good vibes going, Chris. I don't know. We we need your back <laughs> to heal. We need uh, something out here. I'll say this, Hayden. You know, just because guys have bad playoff series, it doesn't mean that they're bad players, and it doesn't mean that they're always going to have bad playoff series moving forward. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. So, so look at just. I was pulling up the stat the other day for a story that I'm working on. In the 2020-2021 playoffs, and, and we all know how great Jimmy Butler is in the playoffs, right? Yeah. He's earned this nickname, Playoff Jimmy. He's been insane. So, in a four-game sweep for the Miami Heat three years ago, Jimmy Butler averaged 14.5 points on 29.7% from the field. And yeah. 26.7% from three-point range. Yeah. And the Miami Heat were outscored, on average, by 21.5 points with Jimmy Butler on the court in that series. Good God. That's Jimmy Butler, right? Yeah. That's the guy that we're talking about is playoff Jimmy. Yeah. So even the best, even the best struggle at times in the postseason and it's yep. just about learning from those things, figuring it out, and being better because of it. Right. You're right. And that's all they can do going forward. They have to, you know, as as much as it stinks, they have to take it as a lesson and, and be better. I mean, In that series against Milwaukee, Jimmy Butler, total points, he was outscored from a total points perspective by Bryn Forbes. <laughs> Oof. Oof. And look at him now. Yeah, look at him now. Everyone's talking about how clutch he is and how he's this great playoff performer because he has been since then. Yeah, no. But he, it wasn't always that way. No, he definitely has been since then. All right, Chris, we've gone about an hour. Appreciate right. you joining us. Time to get yeah, time to get going from here, Progressive Field, before I get locked in. Um, that would be hilarious. People talk soon. Yeah, no, it would not be hilarious. I would be very upset. No, I'm just kidding. I'd find a way out. Um I think Brenda. I think Brenda got stuck in here the other day. That's Great. not surprising. <laughs> All right, thank you everybody for listening. <laughs> uh, appreciate you everybody for listening. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, go check out Chris's subtext fourteen ninety nine uh, for or excuse me third three ninety nine fourteen day free trial. Um, go to cleveland.com slash cavs. Click the blue banner at the top of the page, or if you're viewing this on cleveland.com. It's right, it'll be right on the page that we publish. So be sure to check it out. In the meantime, continue to watch the NBA Finals, and we will talk to you soon. Thanks so much. Take care.